Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your spirit that, uh, that works in each generation and how you call up your people uh, in each time and in each season for your purpose. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with us now in this time as we share some stories and uh, seek to discern the message you want to bring out today. So we, we leave ourselves open to that word in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start with a text. And, and I want to start with a text that, that became meaningful to you two all the way back at the point where this family that I grew up in, that I knew, was first becoming a thing. Uh, when you all were first uh, getting married, there was a text that became important and was important in my life. So share how that came to be. It was August 18, 1957, we got married. And uh, after that, we were setting up our home. We were students at Walla Walla College, uh, which is now Walla Walla University. And uh, as we were establishing our home and our morning worship, we were reading from the morning worship book, the morning watch book, which at that point we had just one book for everybody. Now there's one for kids and young adults and women and all kinds of different books, but this was when we had just one book. And within a few days of when we started doing this, there was a text that just gripped us as we looked toward our future. It was Joshua 1.9. And of course we had it in the uh, King James Version, that's basically what we used then, so we had all the old English in that. And we used that text all frequently in the morning when we were going somewhere, changing, doing something different. And we used that text when the kids came along. And so we can put it on the screen and you can say it with us, although I don't need to read it. Joshua 1 9. Here we ah, go. Yeah, you. go ahead. There, there we is. go. There, there it, is. it is. Have I not commanded you? Be, be strong, strong and, and of have good a good courage. courage. Be, be not, not afraid, afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now, when we started that, I had no idea what whithersoever thou goest would mean. <laughs> but it would turn out, and really that's what we want to talk about here, and and, and the, the way that the Lord gave a text to you all that would be so relevant, there's a, you have this now in your house, don't you, yeah, Mom? by the that, way, Alicia did a calligraphy of this for us on a nice big picture, and it hangs in our bedroom, so when you wake up in the morning, there it is. So I want to talk a little bit about the whithersoever thou hast gone, but uh, as we get to that, I want to go and talk about some background. Now, I've got something here with me. Now, we're not going to tell, we're not going to tell the whole story yet. I want to save a piece of it for the end, so don't tell the whole story. But what is this? Tell everybody what this thing is here that I have with me. That is a little briefcase. It says embossed in, glow, in gold in the front. It says Glenn E. Patterson. That was my dad's preaching Bible and hymnal. And when he would preach and was done preaching, I would walk out with him to the back and take his Bible and put it into that little Bible and hymnal briefcase. So this is part of our heritage, isn't it? That uh, grandpa was a pastor, you were a pastor, I'm a pastor now. That's a piece of our heritage, but it really hasn't been the same experience. Has it? The, the churches he knew and pastored in, the churches you knew and pastored in, what I've known in my era, a lot of it is, is same message-wise, but so many things are not the same. Well, the, the heritage has been passed on from generation to generation. But what we thought of as heritage when I started in ministry changed. Uh, some of you, I'm looking around here, yeah, I see some people who look as old as me, and that's not a compliment. 
but you may remember this, that uh, we had usually five chairs on the platform. And the, uh, the platform personnel came out, the ministers, I was the minister, so I sat in the middle of the, and we had a song that we used to sing. Yeah, none of this walking up randomly no, no, from no, the front. No, 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 not, sir. not this. Uh, things have changed. Uh, but we had a song that we used to sing. I, well, up when Dad came out, and it was kind of traditional. It was, uh, they're walking out, and we'd sing, With reverence let the saints appear, and bow before the Lord, His high command with reverence here, and <laughs> tremble at His word. That's what we did. You know, whoa, Dad and the saints are coming out. Uh, and uh, you know that was our tradition and and you know we did it so much it was our heritage that those kinds of things that we did we came to think of as having been ordained by God and you didn't dare change them because you know that's the saints were appearing and and we had five chairs up there the middle one that dad sat in or that I sat in was the biggest and then beside it were a little bit smaller chairs that matched it, but they were smaller. And then the, uh, next to that, the people who called for the offering, a little bit smaller chair. And it was all sort of in this notion of uh, the significance and the power of it all. And that was part of our heritage. Well, now we walk up from the front pew. But I'm, but I'm kind of liking, you know, the saints appearing thing. We may give that a go. We'll have to see. Uh... <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, maybe not. But, uh, all right, so, so one of the things about being an Adventist, there, there is a point where your family or you became a Seventh-day Adventist, or some of you may be on the verge of doing so now. But, but if you're like me, becoming an Adventist is so far back in your history, you don't have any idea what it would mean to be a part of a family that wasn't. Because on mom's side, I'm a third generation. On dad's side, I'm a fifth generation. And uh, Alicia's story is similar in a lot of ways. It goes back multi-generations. And I'm just out of curiosity here, uh, because you're probably the minority here. How many of you are the first generation of Seventh-day Adventists in your family? You were the one that was baptized. Let's see your hands. All right, you can see a few hands, can't you? But for everybody else here, it was a parent or a grandparent, or in my case, a great-great-grandparent who first made this decision to become a part of this Adventist community. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit because this, this idea of heritage, of the things that get passed forward, of the experience that comes forward, some of it stays very much of the same. Some of it changes a lot. So Dad, I wanna start with you. When did our family, or at least a piece of it, become Seventh-day Adventists? My great-grandfather immigrated from Germany in uh, 1881. His name was Ernst Schefflin. He immigrated to the Palouse country of eastern Washington in the 1880s. Now, what you need to realize is it was not long before that that Lewis and Clark passed through that era and that began to be opened up as farming uh, country there. The Palouse country is called. So there was not any population even there much when great grandpa went there. Not only that, remember the Seventh-day Adventist Church was organized in the mid uh, 1860s and he's there in 1881 and a fellow by the name of Alonzo T. Jones. You've heard of Jones and Wagoner, the great 1888 movement. Alonzo T. Jones came to a little area there called Farmington. You can guess what they did there. Uh, little town of Farmington, where my great-grandfather and all of his nine children were setting up farms. And he held meetings there, evangelistic meetings, and my great-grandfather joined the church in Farmington, uh, which was formed by A.T. Jones. And, and brought along the family, 
so all these cousins here, and I mean all these brothers and sisters, and then the extended families as they went on. Now, just if you're a pastor out here, you can imagine the stress of this because so many of these people that were of this single family were Adventists that the Farmington Church, even up to about 20, 30 years ago, was 75% from one single family. So you can imagine the peril if you crossed anyone in the church. You had just angered three-quarters of the entire community. But, uh, but it was not a small church. Well, no, it was a good-sized church. And the nine children were also prolific in childbearing, and they had quite a few children. So that by the time I came along, I was a second cousin generation. And uh, I had somewhere, I'm not sure how many, somewhere in the neighborhood of a 135 to 145 second cousins all over this Palouse country uh, belonging to the Seventh-day Adventist community in that area. So it really is a patriarch story, isn't it? Of a, it is a, a great heritage story. So now, Mom, yours is actually a little bit different because it goes back, I'm third generation on your side, so it goes back to your parents. What happened for you? Well, oh, my. my parents uh, didn't go to any particular church. They uh, had a dance band that they were part of and would do, a, they'd go around and play. My dad played the violin and my mom played the guitar and uh, their friends, one played the piano and the other played the banjo and they were going, they traveled a lot. It was in central Oregon around Redmond, Bend, that area. And uh, one night they'd gotten babysitters. This was just a little while before I was born, but I had four sisters already. And uh, they got babysitters and they had an appointment for the band to play over in another town right close by. And when they got there, there'd been some foul up in dates and there was no dance going on. And so they said, well, hey, we've got babysitters. Let's go and do something. Let's go do the town. So they headed out in this little town. Well, you have to understand, uh, at that point of time, Prineville probably had 350 to 400 population. So doing the town was not a big deal. <laughs> well, the Main Street was pretty interesting. And they heard some wonderful music coming from, I don't know, the Odd Fellows Home or something like this that had been rented. And so they slipped into the back and sat in the back. And uh, they loved the music. It was lively and it was fun. And yeah, they knew hymns because they'd been raised as Christians. But the sermon was on the mark of the beast. And my dad had never heard anything about Revelation at all. And he's thinking, whoa, I had no idea there were stories like this in the Bible. And from then on, my parents never missed a meeting. Now, the other couple came a little, but my parents never missed a meeting. And at the end of that series, they were baptized. Amen. Amen. So it's a, one of those awesome stories of, of uh, thinking you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, when in fact God has a divine appointment for you. It was no mistake they were there that day because they were there for something other than the dance. But, uh, so this is our heritage, and these are the places we come from. Now, there's another institution in the church that's played a big role in our context and our heritage, and that's education. Um, how did that play a role? What was one of the things it did for us? My grandfather, Ross Patterson, uh, and my grandmother, Kate Katrina uh, Shefflin, but she went by Kate, met and were in the area of the Walla Walla College to the point that in 1901, the General Conference president was visiting Walla Walla College. And if you look back in the archives and the history of the college, it shows the General Conference president arriving in a horse-drawn carriage that my grandfather is driving. Uh, and he and my grandmother met there, my mother and father met there. And then, well, Ray and I attended there, although we met originally at Auburn Academy near Seattle. 
but we attended and were married while we were there at Walla Walla College, which is now Walla Walla University. And this is actually a point that, that I just want to suggest to you because one of the pieces of the heritage that is a little different today than it was even when I was younger, Alicia and I met at Shenandoah Valley Academy, um, is that we're not making some of the same decisions anymore with exactly where our children are going to school and the different things that they're doing. And I'm not here to scold anybody one way or another on it, but I am going to say to you that we are experimenting with something that can radically have an impact long-term on us as a community. And that is that uh, you do, in those venues, tend to find the people that you join yourself to for the rest of your life. And it is a relevant thought, at least, that you would go, that you would think through how you would do that, and I think it through in our own heritage. What an important point that has been in our own life and in our own experience, and how things would have been radically different in another way. But it is, again, it's a reminder that this heritage thing has a lot of elements, but some of the elements are fragile. Some of the elements pass away without any real major impact. Others have more significant impacts as we go along. But, but let's go on with this story a little bit. You all got married, and uh, you had a really good line that you used on mom. Well, what was it? I, when I got engaged, asked her to marry me, and she accepted. Didn't make me wait for an answer. <laughs> but uh, I said to her after that, when she said yes, uh, in all my young, stupid brashness, uh, she, she, was, she was kind of timid. Uh, she'd come from the countryside uh, and uh, hadn't traveled much. And I mean, I was a real man of the world. I'd been to Washington, Oregon, Montana, Idaho, California, uh, all over the West Coast. And in a couple of years, I was going to cross the country and attend seminary in Washington, D.C. So here's what I said to her. I said, to, stick with me, babe, and I'll show you the world. And what did you think he meant by the world at that point? I hoped it meant California anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's all, it's all even better if you understand the context of mom grew up so rural. That, what was your experience with cars where you grew up? Well, my, my father did a lot of logging, and uh, sometimes it was for big logs at a mill, and other times it was for poles and uh, for telephone poles, and we lived way off the grid out there. And uh, so when I was little, we never even saw a car drive by where we lived, except maybe two or three times a week. And if one came, I ran and hid because <laughs> I didn't want to see somebody I didn't know. It could be a stranger. Yes. Yeah. No, it yes. absolutely is a stranger. Yeah. And who knows what they might be up exactly. to. Exactly. Thank you. We introverts all understand what was just said there. You extroverts were out trying to flag it down. But uh, all right. So, so going to see the world. You went across, went to seminary, came back. And uh, I, I have a little map. I want to put that map up right now. This is a little map here of places mom and dad pastored in the early days of their ministry. Now, the red ones there was a place they got called but then didn't end up going. Now, you see all of these dots. How many years was it that you were involved in all of these places? Well, I have to explain something. I had multiple church districts, two, three, four, five churches in a district. So that was five years. So in five years, Dad was pastor in each of those, not the red ones. That, they ended up going to the, into the youth department at the Upper Columbia, Upper Columbia Conference there. But you, it was kind of different then, wasn't it? The way we did things, all the places you were, uh, you know, staying somewhere a year and a half was a significant amount of time uh, compared to now. But I do want to touch on a story, Mom, that you told me from Moscow, Idaho, about a, a, a family there. So I'll just set this up. So... They moved to Moscow, Idaho, and the deacon was trying to get the house ready 
but in the process of getting the parsonage ready, left water running, the water ran down into the window well. Uh, they have basements out there. You don't know about those in Florida, but out there. Ran down in the window well and flooded the basement. So the first day moving in, there's water running out of, of the house. Under, out of, under the garage door, out into the driveway. So, so they're trying to move in. Dad and the, and the deacon are downstairs trying to attend to the flooding downstairs. Mom is upstairs, and the deacon's wife is there with her small children. And you have, how old am I at this point? Uh, two. two. Two years old, and, and, and remarkably Cynthia, well behaved. And Cynthia is four. And Cynthia is four. Okay, yes. and so she's with you. T- talk about that, how, how easy that was. As soon as we got some furniture in the house, I invited her up so we could sit on some furniture, and uh, she put her youngest child down on the couch, which had just been carried in, and I don't know what went wrong with the bottle, but the formula went all over the couch, and I have nothing to daub it up with, and the day just just begins disintegrating. It's it's a long day, I want you to know. And I'm trying to do my best with this lady because she's gonna be in our congregation. You found out she was pregnant. I did. Now you weren't there very long, were you? No, we were only there eight months, but she had another child during the time that we were there. And I went over to visit her and take her a gift. Kind of because you thought you should, right? Yes, and she came and brought the baby and put her in my arms and said, I want you to hold my baby. And it was a beautiful little baby. I loved it. And uh, I said, what did you name her? And she said, "Um, I named her Rachel after my best friend. And I'm just struck, I I almost weep, because I have been showing her friendship in a professional manner. She's been giving me love from her heart. And I was chagrined, and I learned a big lesson there. So, so in that, so you went home, and what did you do? I went right home. I had a daughter that was four that had outgrown more clothes than I knew what to do with. I packed them all up, put them together, and took them over and gave them to the new baby Rachel. <laughs> so somewhere out there, there's somebody roughly my age named Rachel. But, but isn't that isn't that a lesson to us, to to make room in our hearts, um, and and to really put a check on ourselves. We're going we're to hear a story in a minute about someone who didn't put a check on themselves and, and the long-term difficulty it can cause. But, but to be open for love, to be open to love in the role of relationship, she was different. She was from another place. She was from a different reality. But, but to make your heart wide enough. All right, all right. So let's keep going here. So I want to jump ahead here there was one dot that wasn't on the map of the places you pastored, and that was Collegedale, because when I put the whole thing on there with College over here, everywhere in the Northwest just looked like a little mess. So we, we blew that up bigger. You were pastor at the Collegedale Church, but it turned out in the midst of that that you kind of ended up with an unusual district, if you will. What happened there? We had moved to Collegedale in uh, 1971. And Collegedale Church, well, we had about 2,500 members, and uh, I was all of 33 years old. I didn't know I was young. But uh, uh, I, I moved into town there, and we had a ministerial association in Chattanooga, which we were part of, part of that greater Chattanooga area. And uh, <clears throat> that was really the uh, largest congregation in the area, so it had some impact in the community, and uh, I ended up as one of the officers of the uh, Area Ministerial Association, and another one of the officers came to me. He was pastor of Northside Presbyterian Church, and he came to me and he said, I am taking a position out of town. Excuse me, I've got a frog attending with me this morning. Uh, I was... uh, 
he said, I'm taking a pastorate outside of the area. Would you be willing to serve as interim preaching pastor for Northside Presbyterian Church, which was a really nice, beautiful, big church on the north side of town? And I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to do that. So I went there on uh, the, the first Sunday and uh, did a sermon there. And people came up to me afterward and said, uh, I heard you on the college radio station yesterday, which suddenly dawned on me, I have to have two sermons every week. <laughs> because they're listening to me from the Collegedale Church. So I was there about seven or eight months, and a new pastor came in, tremendous congregation, uh, wonderful, beautiful people. And uh, this pastor only stayed about four years, so he was leaving again while I was still there. So they came back to me and said, okay, this pastor's leaving. Would you come back and be interim preaching pastor again? So I said, well, sure. So I went back and uh, did another several months with them preaching there at that church. Now, this was just before I took a call to leave back to the West Coast. And that came out on the radio station and in the Chattanooga newspaper that I was leaving. So they called me up and they said, we hear you're leaving town. Would you come and do a farewell sermon for Northside Presbyterian Church? Magnificent, wonderful people. We don't often enough have the kind of fellowship we could have. Uh, good, loving, wonderful Christian people all around us. And uh, I, I think of Will. Will's sitting over here looking at me. Will plays the organ in lots of different churches. Will, you have that kind of experience more than I've had the opportunity. And you've seen wonderful, beautiful Christian people in all kinds of communities. We do not reach out enough to fellowship with others as we could. We tend to live in our own little communities. Not only other us, other, other churches do that too. But this bond that developed between us there, uh, between our two churches, was a magnificent and a beautiful thing. And so that's, that's one of the things as we, we tend to think about heritage and we think about the tension that happens between the generations in the, in the vertical sense of, of the passing on of heritage. But there's also the lateral reality of heritage. When, when we take what our experience has been, and then it rubs up against what someone else's experience has been. And that really happened to you all in the context of as you were uh, moved on later to the North American Division and the General Conference. But before we get there, I got another picture. So you said you'd show her the world, and we started in America. So here's all the states you all lived in in your various years. You, you left a few out, you, but you did travel through them at one time or another. Cause I know this because you drug me along. And I went to all 48 of those states that you could drive to by the time I was, what, 12 maybe? 10? All right, there it is. And uh, all, so, so we, you did see a lot of this, but then you went, you worked in North American Division in the General Conference, and it was in the context of that that we see the next picture, which is the countries of the world where you got. So, Mom, did he make good? Oh, yeah. Oh yes, he, he made very, very good. <laughs> uh, many times I had no idea what time of day it was. It just, when I needed to go and do something, I went and did it and then I slept whenever I could. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit, Mom, about how God took the little girl who hid from cars all around this world and you didn't just ride along, you had a speaking part, didn't you? I did, and uh, I, I never aspired to be the speaker, but we did do quite a bit of it, and we would share oftentimes uh, the, at the wherever we went. And was there a particular story? No, no, just then? what I okay. just, yeah. Uh, when we were uh, in Kenya, that one was rather interesting. Yes. Uh, the, when, <laughs> And I'll remind you what it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. you, that's the yellow dot just up above Madagascar. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we went there and we were doing this kind of joint presentation, oh. which we did uh, okay. all over the world. 
uh, telling the story of mission and learning new stories and sharing it with other places. And when we got there, uh, they said, okay, here's this person who's going to be your translator. And I said, okay, that's fine. He's translator for me. Uh, we need a lady to be translator for her. And they said, no, he'll, he'll translate for both. And I said, no, that's not the way we do. She's telling the story from a woman's viewpoint. She needs to be heard from a woman's voice. Well, no, we don't do it. I said, well, you're going to do it today. This is the way we do it. And so they came up with someone to translate. And the impact of it was powerful and significant when the ladies of the congregation were hearing the stories, the gospel, from the voice of another lady. That's true. I remember it very well now that he reminds me. <laughs> Kenya kind of threw her, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, you go enough places, they all get pretty confusing. So, so you did. You saw the world. You saw heritage in a whole new way. Mom, what would you say was it were there places in the world where you just couldn't love the people? Oh my, no. They were they were wonderful people wherever we went, even when we had such language barriers and and funny things would happen and fun things and and it was amazing how much we could share even in the places where we didn't know the language and we would stand at the back after our presentation and i would ask somebody to give me the words to say you know i'm glad to see you or glad you're here or something whatever they wanted me to say and then i would say it but after you say it about 10 or 12 times, it gets a little skewed. And when people would kind of look at me funny when I said it, I'd turn around and say, give me that again. I'm saying the wrong thing. <laughs> so, all right, so, so I want you to tell one other story here in the context of this travel. And it has to do with this idea of heritage and expectation and, and how we can become blinded. And it was a story that you encountered from Australia uh, of some sisters there Tell that story to us, to remind us of... We, we had appointments in Australia and New Zealand area back in uh, 90, 98, 1998. And we were going there for various appointments in different places. And uh, when, we, when we got there, I had been told there's a story in the Nunawading Church, which is about an hour east of uh, Melbourne, there's a story there. It's a place where we had been to speak at camp meeting a couple of years before in Nunwadding. And that was interesting, too. We were doing this joint preaching together. And the first night, we opened up, both of us being there together talking. And then the next night, I was supposed to speak by myself. Well, they got so excited with the stories and having Ray there with me telling the stories and they were applauding and just having a uproarious good time hearing the stories of world mission that's the way it affected and this was the stiff old crowd that was supposed to be uh, nervous like this people came running out from all over and said what's going on with the old people and uh, <laughs> we were having a big time well we we finished up that night and they'd had such a wonderful time hearing the stories of God's leading in mission around the world that they looked at the program and I was supposed to speak by myself the next night. Well, there was a real uproar about that. And, they, and this is back a few years, so those of you who are uh, under 40 won't quite understand this, but uh, they said, no, you can't do that. You both have to speak because if it's just you, it would be like Charles coming without Diana. So we changed and started uh, both speaking there. But a couple years later, we were going back uh, to Australia. And someone had told me there's a story that we need to get out of the Nunawading Church from three sisters who had an amazing conversion experience. And that was all they told me about it. They didn't know the details of the story. Said, you're going to be in Australia. See if you can check this out for a story in the Adventist Review. 
Well, I said, we're pretty scheduled up. I don't know that we're going to have time to do that. But we'll see. We got into Australia, and the first weekend appointment fell through. We were in Sydney on Friday and didn't have an appointment for Sabbath. So I said, let's rent a car, drive down to Melbourne. We'll stay there overnight, and then we'll drive out to Nunawading uh, for the church service. And we'll ask about three sisters in the church that have an interesting story. Well, it's a good-sized church, uh, and uh, I'm a little nervous about this. How do, you, how do you say, I hear there's a story here about three sisters. I don't know who they are. Uh, so I, w- I was a little concerned about it. So I went in and I said, well, we're here visiting from the general conference. And I've heard that there's a story here about the conversion of three sisters from this church. And they said, oh, you mean the back office sisters. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. Can you introduce me to them? Oh, yes. So they introduced me to the oldest of the, of the uh, three, who was just about the same age as Ray, and her name was Draga. These people are from Macedonia. Her name was Draga. The middle sister's name was Luba, and the youngest sister's name was Sveta. So we've got Draga, Luba, and Sveta, and I'm talking to Draga, and she says, well, I don't have time to tell you. We don't have enough time here at the service this morning. Come to Sabbath dinner with us, and we'll tell you the story. So we went there, had a magnificent, wonderful meal uh, with a lot of, uh, well, heritage kind of cooking (laughs) coming out of Macedonia. It was delightful. Alternate heritage. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a great meal, and they started telling us this story that their father, Basil Bakov, was a successful businessman during the early to mid-40s in Macedonia. But after the Second World War ended, communism took over that area of the world, and he had his business taken away from him, and he was an Orthodox church uh, attender, member, well, it was, he was not really terribly religious, but he was involved in the traditions of the church. And so he had the youngest daughter, who was baptized about that time, was born about that time, had her baptized into the Orthodox Church. And he went to prison for three months as the communists rebelled against religion and put him in prison for having his daughter baptized. Well, he rebelled against the government, had his business taken away, had been put in prison for this, and it got to the place that his life was endangered till in 1949, he had to flee the country for fear of being killed in Macedonia. He went to Australia, to the Melbourne area, and it was eight long years before he could get his family over there. Well, by this time, Draga was 17, and she went to work in a clothing manufacturing company, uh, sewing clothes. It was difficult work. They were pathetically poor. She had only one dress. She wore it every day to work. When she went home to wash it and hang it out, if it was not a warm, dry time of year, she had to put it on wet the next morning. That was all she had. And she saw this lady working at a table next to her who seemed to have it together, who seemed to have good things. And this woman talked about her church, a church she'd never heard of, the Seventh-day Adventist church. Ah, this story's going a good direction, not so fast. She went to her one day and she said, you, you seem happy and you talk about this church of yours. I've never heard of it before. Could I go to your church with you? And the woman said, no, you can't go to our church. You don't have decent clothes to wear. And you're poor and God doesn't love poor people like you. And you can't go to my church with me. Uh, 
you don't speak the language well enough to, to do you any good anyway, go find some of your own people somewhere and go to their church. I can't even comprehend something like that. But God has something for these three girls, 17, 15, and 12, I think they were at that time. Broke Draga's heart. Weeping, she told her sisters, well, the youngest one, Sveta, she was a pistol. She said, okay, we'll just do that. We'll go and find our own church if that's the way they're going to be. So they started searching. It happened to be Easter time, so there were church services going on. They went to all the Orthodox churches around, uh, but they weren't finding what they, what they were looking for. So they, Easter time, they'd gone out early to Easter service. They were sleepy in the afternoon. There was a service in the evening they were going to go to. So they laid down to take a nap. And in the middle of the nap, suddenly Luba got agitated and woke them up and said, wake up, wake up, I've just had a dream. Oh, what, what, what was your dream? They said, she said, I saw Jesus. And he said to me, so you're looking for a church? She said, yeah, we are. He said, I will show you what to look for, for you to find my people where I want you to go. He took her to the balcony of an auditorium and looking down and there was a man speaking from the platform down below. And he said to her, you see this railing in front of you? She said, yes. I can't make this up. I mean, this is too incredible to be believed. I, I couldn't make something like this up. She said, he pointed to the railing and he said, you see that chip out of the railing there? She said, yes. She said, he said, when you see that chip out of the railing, then you're going to know that these are my people and that's where I want you to go. They went on searching and searching. Two years went by. And they kind of began to give up hope on it. They just kind of searched everywhere they could and they couldn't find what Luba had seen in her dream. Finally, they got an advertisement in the mail that there was a revival going on in a theater in downtown Melbourne. So they said, well, let's go and see that. So they went on a Sunday night to the meeting, and it was good, and it was interesting, and they enjoyed it. But uh, Lewis said, well, it's not right. We're looking, we're looking up at the platform, and uh, it just doesn't look right. But it was good, and I enjoyed it, so let's come back. So they came back the next Tuesday night. But they had been busy and they had gotten off late. And when they got there, the auditorium was already full. So they had to go upstairs into the balcony. They went in and sat down right in front of the chip out of the banister of the balcony. And the man came out and she said, that's him. This is the place that God has sent us. It was our church congregation that was putting on an evangelistic outreach and the girls attended the rest of the meeting there's a lot more details I don't have time to tell you and Luba and Draga and Sveta told us this story over a wonderful meal but they said we have to go we can't stay long we have to tell you the story and go because we are planting another church from our Nunawading church, and we're meeting with them this afternoon. It was nice to be with you, but now we have to go and share the word with another church. So what I love in that story, well, what I hate and love in that story, the first, the first reality is the example of heritage gone wrong, isn't it? No, you can't be part of us. We're not like you. You're not good enough to be part of us. That's, that's heritage gone wrong. It's based on a reality, but it's gone wrong somewhere, hasn't it? 
The other part of the story is about Jesus stepping in and, and being gracious nonetheless and giving us another chance. Isn't that beautiful? And that's about heritage gone right. What they do at the end is heritage gone right, right? We're branching it out. We're taking it there. So we need to close this. But I want to close with another story of heritage gone right. And it, and it comes back to this right here. The, the faith of our fathers passed on properly. Because it does matter. And, and, and heritage should be to our building up and to our strengthening, not to our limiting and tearing down. And, and I've, I've completely left out a whole part of your story. We could do this for hours. The part where your interim pastor here 15 years ago, dad was interim pastor here, and then another time in that span, multiple different churches. We got a quick map. Throw that map up there real fast. Uh, Justin, you got that there? Here's all the places dad was interim, and I may not even have gotten them all, but spread all around the region. There were, there were 15 and, and all of them were exactly the same, right? All those churches? <laughs> Very different. Very different. And that's the thing. Again, that's heritage. Well, just an example. Right. One, of the, one of them I did was the uh, New Hope Church in the D.C. area, which was the ultimate contemporary church. And I went from that just a few miles away to Spencerville, which was the ultimate high church, which everybody knows is my thing. I love high church. Did both of them, both of them magnificent times together. So isn't it fascinating how when we let ourselves relationship become so much, important, so much more important to us than, than whether that person had another dress to wear or what they were doing. If we will let ourselves, relationship matters so much more. But, but I want to go to this other story, and that is towards the end of Grandpa's life, who really is kind of the patriarch of our line of pastors, and uh, I was in Marietta at the time, living in Marietta at the time, and we knew that Grandpa was getting towards the end of his life. He was 96, Six, I think. Tell this story. Dad had struggled for years with Parkinson's disease, and it had gotten to the end. He had lost his ability to swallow. He had lost his ability to speak. He could not get up out of a chair without someone pulling him up. And uh, he would spend all day either in the chair or in the bed. And we knew it was only a matter of days. And Jeff said, I have to see Grandpa once more before he dies. And he came down from Marietta. Dad had given me this briefcase with his preaching Bible in it. And I said, that needs to be Jeff's. So I gave it to him, and he brought the Bible. Dad was sitting slumped way back in his chair. Jeff sat in front of him, read him texts out of the Bible that Grandpa had underlined. Ended with uh, the Apostle Paul's great lines, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me treasure. And he ended with that text, which pretty much did him in. He was pretty well broken down, and he bent over, sobbing in front of Dad. Then a miracle happened. I don't know how else to say it. Dad rose up out of his chair, put his hand on Jeff's head, began to pray in a full, powerful, strong voice. That I don't know, lasted two or three minutes. Passed the torch on to another generation. Now, not all of us have the opportunity to do something that dramatic. But he passed the torch on to another generation. And then he slumped back in his chair. And it was only a matter of a short time after that that he passed away. But he had passed the heritage on to your pastor. <laughs> we may need to bring Alicia up because I can't talk anymore. <laughs> okay, none of us. All right. That's heritage done right. 
That's, that's loving the ones you have loved to the end. That's what it, it said about Jesus, having loved the ones he loved to the end. That's how Jesus did with us. And that's the beauty of heritage that God has given us when we do heritage right. We take it because it's so precious. And we don't let it die with us because it's so precious. We pass it on to the next generation. So hey, Aaron. Aaron's taking theology right now at Southern Adventist University. Come and take Grandpa's Bible. We got to do heritage right, and we got to understand what parts of heritage are the most important parts and what parts of heritage we have to give away. You have a quote. Read us your quote. And then Jeremy's going to come and lead us in a song as we close. While I, was doing, while I was doing my doctoral studies at Vanderbilt University, I was assigned to read the French philosopher Paul Ricoeur. Anybody here ever read Paul Ricoeur? One, two, three maybe. French philosophers, long gone, but here's what he said. Our heritage is not a sealed package which we pass from hand to hand without ever opening, but rather a treasure from which we draw by the handful and which by this very act is replenished. Every tradition lives by the grace of interpretation and it is at this price that it continues, that is, remains alive. It remains alive. It changes. It transitions. But pass it on. It's beautiful. Amen. Amen.